Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Thursday, 13th February, COVID-19 is on everyone's lips, right? The coronavirus disease 2019 outbreak has now killed more than 1,350 people, infected over 45,000 people worldwide. People in China are returning to work after entire cities and business sectors were shut for more than two weeks in efforts to contain the outbreak. In Hubei province, the outbreak's epicenter, millions remain under lockdown. I know here in Singapore, people are worried about the F&B industry, uh, making it a point to support the industry in whichever way they can, uh, heading out responsibly, of course, not necessarily cutting back on social distancing. Over in Hong Kong, restaurateurs, I understand, are trying to encourage people to eat out, putting out partitions in between diners so people can still eat out, but at the same time feel that they are partaking in terms of social distancing required for the disease not to spread. But today we take the macro view, of course, of COVID-19, what it means for global business and oil in particular. So I'm speaking with Arun Pai, Chief Crystals Officer at Crystals AI, where he leads investment. Arun, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Michelle. I'm good. How are you? Sounding wonderful. I'm great. Thanks for joining us. So when it comes to the immediate impact of COVID-19, we know that it's going to vary according to region, of course, but what are you reading for the immediate? And then maybe later you can talk about the long-term impact. Sure. So it was kind of interesting where OPEC came out a couple of days back in which they revised down the growth of uh, oil demand to something like just a shade under 1 million BPD or barrels per day, which was quite a bit substantially lower than the 1.23 million BPD growth they were imagining just a couple of weeks to a month ago on Jan 7th, right before China announced this whole virus growth story. Now, the markets being the markets, OPEC came out with that news, but at the same time, they said that they're going to start slashing oil production, especially with Saudi Arabia leading the way. And that actually, weirdly enough, led to oil spiking close to 3.6% the day before yesterday. So I think it's interesting to see where, you know, when you have oil being controlled by some kind of a cartel, Mm -hmm. which the OPEC is, how the eventual price action will take place. Obviously, the demand is going to be projected to be lower because of this whole virus economy related slowdown. But at the same time, if production gets hit or if it's reduced, then you'll tend to see like prices stabilizing, which we've kind of seen after the over 20% correction that oil has seen since the beginning of the year. All right, apart from oil, what are the other sectors that you see most affected by the outbreak? So the first one that comes to mind is sadly the airline industry, right? I mean, you have cases where, look at Cathay Pacific, for example, they've asked all of its employees to take up to three weeks of unpaid leave. The Hong Kong Taipei route, which is the world's busiest route, if I'm not mistaken, Cathay has reduced the number of flights from like 90 down to four. And in an industry that is so heavily leveraged where you kind of either bought or leased your plane and you just need to try and fill up as many seats as possible because that flight will most probably still take place, you got cases where they had to like shut down entire flights leading to a very highly leveraged industry taking a massive hit because of the lack of tourism or even business travel. The number of conferences that have shut down, most recently it was 
I think the Mobile World Congress or something yes. uh, that they decided, you know what, we just can't do this anymore when you have, before it was a stamp of honor, right? Where you have delegates from 200 different countries in the world meeting up. And now that's become like a massive red flag where people don't want to show up anymore. Indeed, indeed. Less travel for sure. People feeling nowhere is safe. I mean, just a couple of hours ago, London confirmed its first case of COVID-19. I want to bring it back to Singapore. How severe do you think the impact could be for Singapore and for businesses based here? So while obviously, you know, there is a lot of headline news that is scary and obviously the millions of WhatsApp tweets and memes that we've all received, most of it with fake news, some of it with real news, it is scary, no doubt. And you can see when walking down the streets of be it CBD or other places, the volume, the traffic is definitely reduced. Uh, You see a headline like, a bank like DBS clearing out 300 of its employees from two floors in MBFC, and then everyone starts wondering whether they should even show up to the building or not. Sure. Regardless of, be it the prime minister, be it experts in the field who come out saying, look, you know, those areas might actually be the cleanest in Singapore now because they will be scrubbed up and down on an hourly basis. But yet, fear does set in. That being said, I think one thing that the government has going for it really well is this transparency level that the the government has achieved in this country where, you know, there's like a WhatsApp number where you can add a WhatsApp business account. You continuously get regular updates straight from the government's mouth rather than potentially some fake news publications. You get to know exactly where the cases are, what the issue is. And I think the extent of transparency is something that has given people in this country a lot more faith in the government. And they've actively been coming out and, you know, if you have even some kind of an issue, by all means, you go to the hospital, you go to a clinic, and you will be well taken care of because you have that kind of trust and faith that the government will take care of you. Even the potentially monetary benefits where if you have to take a leave of absence, you do get like a daily stipend from the government. In Hong Kong, sadly, things are potentially slightly different, I would Mm. say. Yes, with the lack of masks, perhaps lack of communication. I've seen people heading out in Hong Kong bundled up in plastic, bundling their dogs in plastic as well. You know, as you say, communication is so important at a time like this. Yeah, go ahead with that thought. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit scary, right? Like when you have the government who's supposed to be leading you through these times of fears, and there's a little bit more of a wishy-washy kind of statement where the public starts getting confused. You need a government that leads you in a very strong manner in and in a very transparent manner. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Hong Kong has not been able to do that, which kind of stems from the fact that there wasn't trust in the government to begin with, right? Yes. If you just, I mean, now the last, what, about a month and a half, pretty much all we've been talking about is the coronavirus. But if you look back just three or four months ago, all we were talking about then was about slightly before the trade wars was literally the Hong Kong protesters and the lack of faith in the government, which leads to people who might even have the virus not being willing to uh, stick to quarantine. Yeah. Exactly. And that's so scary when you know potentially someone's not feeling well and yet he or she is just showing up to work as if nothing is wrong. Mm. And when that trust breaks down due to a whole host of factors in the past and you slap on something which is as contagious, I wouldn't say dangerous necessarily, but definitely as contagious as this, 
it is not a good recipe for a country that can try and grow its way out of troubles. And we could see that clearly with, you know, quarterly GDP numbers, Hong Kong going through a recession and a first annual recession since the global financial crisis. So definitely things not looking out uh, too good for the country, sadly. Yeah, as you mentioned, I just want to say that I signed up to the government.sg WhatsApp channel. And what I love about it is the WhatsApp comes with little smileys. So I laughed when I saw the first WhatsApp because it's, hello, you subscribe to government.sg WhatsApp. And then it came with a smiley and I thought, oh, how personal and how wonderful. That- it is, right? With, with the guy with the crossed arms saying, don't do this, do that. Yeah, and then, you know, this encouraging, like a, a flexed arm to say, like, let's help those impacted. And I just think it's wonderful. This is, a, as you say, a while ago, we, all we were talking about was the trade war. But now we have a point, we're at an inflection point where we're all talking about the same thing as well. And it is a point where either companies, countries can come together or we can see the exact opposite happening. And, and Most trust, definitely. trust is at the heart of that. So beautifully said, I have to say. I want to move to SoftBank results. Uh, mean, Japanese tech investor SoftBank Group has reported a near total wipeout in quarterly profit as it takes another hit for a second consecutive quarter by losses at its 100 billion US dollar vision fund. So what can you read about what the results say about what SoftBank has been betting on so far? Right. So it was, you know, their quarterly earnings came out a couple of days back. It was quite interesting. While the Vision Fund, as he likes to call it, it suffered close to a $2 billion loss last quarter. That being said, it was substantially better than the $8.9 billion loss that it suffered the quarter before that on the back of Uber's disastrous listing and obviously WeWork also. That being said, its operating profits to the rest of the company, especially primarily its Alibaba stake, kind of salvaged those losses and the company came out break even. It will be interesting to see what happens now with the company because Elliott Management, which is this activist hedge fund, Mm -hmm. has taken close to a $3 billion stake in the business. And what Elliott's trying to convince Masa-san to do is to start selling off its $150 billion stake in Alibaba. This was obviously one of the best tech investments that anyone has made pretty much ever, where close to like $20 million stake in Alibaba close to two decades ago has morphed into a $150 billion stake. And Elliot's point to Mazasan is, you know, if it's SoftBank and you are your own publicly traded entity, why do you have such a massive stake in another publicly traded entity? Your own market cap is close to $110 billion dollars start selling off the Alibaba stake, start buying back shares in the market, start issuing a dividend and get the share price to start going back to where its fundamentals should be trading at, which should be substantially higher than where it is right now. Wow. So do you think with Elliott Management's fingerprints all over SoftBank, we're going to see some different bets moving on? Uh, The guy in the past has definitely coerced uh, people to do quite a lot. Uh, Coerced would be the very nice way of saying it, to be honest. He's definitely convinced management to try and really pull some strings to ensure that him and his limited partners of his fund can get decent returns. But that being said, you know, the company did get a little bit lucky a couple of days back when the federal judge rejected an antitrust challenge to the proposed takeover of Sprint Corporation by T-Mobile. Sprint Corporation is owned by SoftBank, and that actually led SoftBank to have one of its best days in the past seven months, where it rallied close to like 7-8%. So things potentially got a little bit lucky for Masa-san, where even though the earnings were not good, one of its big 
subsidiary, Sprint Corporation, which is this telecommunications company in the U.S., is potentially going to get bought out by T-Mobile, and that's at least one issue of Masa-san's head. And we all know that he has quite a few with uh, Uber and WeWork, sadly. Is Apple stock fully valued after its record-breaking earnings? <laughs> and now that you asked it, I have to start doing a little bit more of a negative uh, tangent right now. Apple, you know, it's done phenomenally well trading close to like what I think it's $325, $327. It seems when it's trading at close to like a 30 multiple for over a trillion dollar market cap company, I start getting very circumspect. And I would dare I say Apple is probably one of the better valued stocks in the market right now. The amount of excesses just generally in the market, leaving aside the virus issues and other geopolitical potential uh, drawbacks that can happen in the market, we are definitely in a space where the market fundamentals versus the valuations kind of do not equate out. And you've got investing greats like Ray Dalio, Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's right-hand man, mm-hmm. had his Daily Journal annual shareholder meeting yesterday, which is like 100th the size of Berkshire Hathaway's shareholder meeting. But still, it's always very interesting to see and hear his point of view where he was stating that, you know, like if you look at the U.S., right, the world's largest economy, its annual budget deficit increased by 25% in the last four months to over $1.06 trillion. And these are such staggering numbers where you would hope that country can try and grow its way out of such a massive deficit. But we're coming to a state where that's going to be extremely difficult where the U.S. is growing at like maybe 2 to 3%. China has now suffered a massive drawback because of this virus where ranges are the ranges of growth are anywhere from like all the way down to 0% up to like say 3 to 4% as compared to what expectations were a month and a half back or 6.5%. So you're having these massive deficits which are luckily being you know, subsidized by the fact that interest rates are so low. But at the same time, you do need some growth to be able to sustain such kind of deficits. And we are not seeing that anywhere in the world right now. So it's definitely a bit scary. Yeah, that is an amazing figure. U.S. deficit surging, uh, what, 25%, 1.1 trillion over the past year. I had to Google how many zeros were in a trillion. <laughs> do you know how many zeros in a trillion? Twelve. Indeed. <laughs> scary. Scary times. Uh, yeah, yes, the markets are on its peak right now, right? So yes. things seem to be uh, all uh, gung-ho investors in the equity space, at least. I want to turn to Microsoft, also reporting earnings well beyond Wall Street estimates. Another stock that has done phenomenally well. Apple and Microsoft seem to be the two, you know, like beacon holders of companies in the tech space where over a trillion dollars, Microsoft back from the dead, basically, right? Satya Nadella, hats off to the guy, came into a time when everyone had basically written off Microsoft as an old tech company. They are not able to do anything new and different. And look at the kind of products it's come out with right now, like the Surface Laptop, top notch. In fact, people are comparing it and saying that it's going to become better than the Apple's laptop especially in uh, the Microsoft Azure space, which is the cloud. You know, obviously cloud is an extremely hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. They've done phenomenally well, and they're clawing back a lot of customers from Amazon by saying that, look, we will never go into the retail space. We are a pure tech company. If you have any kind of information that Amazon can potentially use against you, why aren't you coming and using our service? And you're seeing a lot of retailers jumping ship. 
All right. From Microsoft, I want to turn to another tech stock, Facebook. They also exceeded expectations. Earning came in two U.S. dollars twelve cents versus that refinitive forecast of one U.S. dollar ninety one cents. What's powering those earnings? Well, you know, while they did have a good earnings and they definitely beat earnings last quarter as per expectations, it was interesting to see their operating expenses shoot up, especially with this year being the U.S. presidential election year. And we all know what happened three and a half years ago when Facebook came under a lot of stick for not being able to prevent Russian hackers or external hacking companies sending all sorts of different kinds of targeted ads to the various U.S. demographic population to ensure that to try and like not force them, but in a way lead them to voting in a certain way. Uh, you can see the operation expenses shooting up and you can see potentially regulation coming in into the space where not just for Facebook, but the other tech company, Google, the EU is clamping down hard on them and trying to ensure that governments have some kind of a control or handle over the way news is disseminated to all of the tech companies' uh, users. I want to stay with the earnings for the major tech companies and end off with Alphabet, which is also reported rising profits. Profits rose 19% from a year ago in the quarter to nearly 10.7 billion US dollars. Revenues increased 17% for the internet giant. We know that Alphabet's been investing in deep computer science. Do you think that this has created a great foundation for its continued growth? Very well put, Michelle. And I think it's a couple of these moonshots that Google has that can really take it to the next level, right? In terms of market cap, in terms of revenue and earnings growth, it's uh, the deep computing side and as well as the fact like Deep Blue. And on the other side, you have Vemo, which is its driverless, autonomous driving unit where it's the company that's leading the charge. I mean, there's a lot of news and speculation about how GM, Nissan, Tesla, obviously, is in this space in a very big way. But based on any independent report, Waymo seems to be far ahead of its competition in this space. And that can become, you know, a couple of trillion dollars in economy by itself. So you have a lot of these moonshots, which Google owns 100% ownership of, which can assist the company substantially in the long-term, mid-term and the long-term future. In the near term, they're definitely undergoing a little bit of headwinds from regulation in terms of the way it's uh, got a monopoly over the search engine space. The EU, which is very protective of its citizens' rights, Mm. is clamping down hard on Google, which is very beneficial for Apple because they are, you know, it's all about the privacy and a closed ecosystem, whereas it's very different for Google. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic takes place. But Google definitely has a couple of aces up its sleeve in terms of Waymo and the deep computing space. Wow, what a show. We've covered so much. All that's <laughs> left for me to say is say thank you so much and stay healthy, Arun. My pleasure as always, Michelle. Thank you and you too. Arun Pai is Chief Crystals Officer at Crystals.ai. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.